Uh, welcome to the Long Shot Club. This is episode 24. Welcome to 2022. Uh, and today was originally actually going to be about the movie Scrooge, but then I was like, eh, fuck it, it's not Christmas anymore. So instead we're going to be talking about Alleluia, a.k.a. The Devil's Carnival Part 2. Oh boy. I've never heard of this movie. I've seen it, actually. Oh. Yeah. Is it is it a horror movie? Or? No, oh. actually. It's very interesting. Yeah. I actually like it because it's more akin, like me being the theater junkie, it's more akin to my taste as far as basically like Hamilton, as far as like a recording of that, but it's... It's definitely made for a movie, but it's very theatrical. Okay, and it's okay that I haven't seen part one? Yeah. I've never seen part one. They summarize part one right up front. Hmm. Part one is good for what it is, but it was clearly very experimental. If you've ever seen Repo the Genetic Opera, (laughs) exact same crew made this as that. Okay. Um, Most of the people performing in it are singers and musicians rather than actors, so it gives it this very overdramatic, played-up, maniacal vibe. There's only a couple of people that are actually trained actors specifically in it. So it it creates a very different flavor from, say, other uh, film musicals. Hmm. Um, and I've also, again, not seen part one, and I was able to keep up with it just fine. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm going into this totally blind. I've never seen or, I mean, maybe I've heard of this movie, but not... I was, remembered it, but I, yeah. I was very apprehensive when Noel first showed it to me, um, like just as a casual movie night type thing, and I actually came away pleasantly surprised. Yeah, mm. especially because it tarts itself up like it is a horror movie, but it's really not. Okay. Yeah, it, it was... The first one, if it gives you any idea, was filed on Netflix under horror, but it's, it is so distinctly not horror. It's, it's, it's more almost a comedy than it is a horror film. Okay. Okay, so let's go watch this not horror comedy thing. Yeah. All right. We'll see you in a bit. And welcome back. Uh, I have been told that we were fools and we did not introduce ourselves. I'm I'm Noel. I'm Ellie. I'm Brandon. I'm really sorry, Noel. Hmm. You didn't like it? No, I liked it just fine. I'm just sorry. For? For what happened immediately after watching the movie. Oh, Oh, I wasn't going to bring that up. Oh, you weren't going to bring that up? Do you want to start over? No, uh, you can go ahead and tell the audience what you've done, (laughs) what you did to me. If it makes you feel better, it'll probably only be like, you know, five people. (laughs) Uh, Although this might boost things, so you never know. (laughs) So, Noel and I were dancing to the fun music during the credits playing, and I went um, for, for a hip bump. See, there was a small problem. Uh, a, few, a couple of small problems. One, I'm shorter than Noel is by several inches. Um, <laughs> and two, Noel was facing me, and I was to his side, and so I was I was aiming for, like, his thigh, uh, and I, I did not hit his thigh, and poor Noel had to lay in the recovery position on the ground for a moment. Yeah, you basically hip-checked his nuts. Yeah. That's that's a perfect description of yeah. exactly what it was, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, barring that, I'm going to go ahead and jump into a 90-second oh summary. Do you want to do the honors of time? Yes, because I hate doing this. Okie dokie. Ready? Sure. Go. 
So to pick up from where part one of Devil's Carnival left off, uh, the devil down in hell has decided that he is going to take his literal carnival full of sinners and strike out against heaven. But the question that all of the carnival keeps having is how? And instead of explaining how, uh, the devil starts telling a story about the past in heaven where a young woman was having an affair with one of God's upper echelon elite servants. And it turns out that the person he's telling the story to is that girl reminding her of the past so that she is freshly pissed off and ready to take out that agent in one more step towards destroying heaven. Um, along the way, there's a lot of music, a lot of singing and some dancing, and it's fun and bright colors and cartoony noise effects. How many seconds do I have left? Oh, no hints. Just keep going. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> Aw, piss. You had 37 seconds left. Damn. Damn, I'm good. <sighs> give me, give me, give me. All right, Shut so up. I have a question that maybe you can help explain to me. So God told the agent to have an affair with June. Correct. As a test, yes. So testing the agent or testing June? Por que no los dos? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because it seemed like he was like all annoyed that, that it, the agent But liked, you got to remember in this, in this movie, God's actually a dick. I don't know how that differs from real life. Assuming God exists. Mm, And just like that, all of our Christian listeners are gone. (laughs) Thank you, Bran. You're welcome. Did we have any Christian listeners? Probably. Sorry. I don't know why you're saying sorry. We just have the sinners left. (laughs) I mean, it's still a fun movie. I consider myself like someone who's spiritual slash sometimes religious and mm. you know See, i can the still enjoy the not movie the, problem. the movie's not the problem brand just bashed all of religion so <laughs> anyway um yeah no the gist was that god in a particularly fun act of douchebaggery decided he was going to test both uh june and uh the agent and subsequently decide both of them just aren't up to his snuff so be gone with both of you mm-hmm. Functionally, yeah. But I'll have fun while doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, cool. God's a dick. Yeah, yeah, playing everyone on themselves, a little like Lucifer's doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so you've you've seen it yeah. twice now. Yep. Uh, and you're saying that you'd like it? Yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. It's not necessarily something I, like, am dying to watch, you know, all the time. Well, obviously not. Um, But, I mean, I haven't seen it in a couple of years. So as far as watching it a second time and kind of refreshing some things in my brain um, and seeing it for a second time, it's really interesting to pick up on some of the things that I maybe missed or didn't get, some things I'm still confused about. But part of that is also because I didn't watch the first one. And sadly, there is apparently not going to be a third. Yeah. I don't like when the story can't resolve itself. Yeah. That was, um, I I wouldn't say it was my... um my least favorite thing about it um so i'll get into it now but yeah learning that there isn't going to be a third part is pretty disappointing because right. yeah maybe it is my least favorite thing but um yeah the f- story is my- i was able to follow it um but it didn't it certainly feels like part of a bigger thing oh yeah um it doesn't necessarily feel like a self-contained story of its own. It's a right. continuation of that story from the yeah. first one. Right. Very um, much so. Right. It's unfortunate that there's not going to be a third. Yeah. It, it's a little bit like if you only saw the two towers, you got glimpses of what happened in Fellowship, and then you found out Return of the King wasn't going to get made. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's a heartbreaker that's, that's because... a good way of putting it. I think it's one of my favorite uh, fantasy films. 
and I think that it is it, it's definitely one of my favorite film soundtracks. Mm-hmm. I own the soundtrack to both the uh, first film and this one. Really? Because I, I feel like I got the vibe that you don't enjoy the first one like you do the second one. This is absolutely true. I don't think the first one is as good, but I think it was more experimental. The songs are still excellent. The the songs are masterful. Interesting. But that's also because they were able to experiment musically on a previous film because these two films were actually made by the same crew that did uh, Repo the Genetic Opera, which probably just perked up the ears of a lot of listeners, whoever is listening. Uh, That one is really beloved by sort of the goth rock community okay uh devil's carnival just kind of fell by the wayside for a lot of people okay so for those of us listeners and people sitting at the table included <laughs> can you give us you know, I'm, i won't time it i won't stick it to timing but can you give us kind of a rough gist of what happens in the first movie because they do okay. that at the beginning of devil's carnival and for me that's the most confusing part of the movie oh absolutely so at the very beginning of the first one uh you are given a sort of impromptu crash course on here are these three people and here are them in devastating situations. You're not really explained what the situations are. If you rewatch it, it makes sense. This is the three characters dying. Okay. And when they wake up, they are down in hell. Uh, They are at the carnival and they have tickets to go to the carnival. Okay. Uh, They show up and uh, one of them encounters a character called the Scorpion, the guy in the black leather jacket right. that you were seeing running around Mr. with the knife. Mr. Like, punk. Greaser punk, yeah. Greaser, yeah, greaser punk. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he's like, hey, do you trust me? And she's like, yeah, you're sexy. Yes, I trust you. So she runs off with him. Uh, the two other souls meet each other and run into Dayton Tally, the... Um, the advisor slash uh, ticket taker for yeah. the carnival, mm-hmm. uh, who explains there are 666 rules. Oh. And if you break the rules, you'll pay. Mm-hmm. And he rattles off the rules, it, most of them anyway, in the song, and shows a list. They literally have a list of all 666 rules. It's kind of hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just set loose into the carnival. And one by one, each of these three souls end up committing a... a sin quote-unquote breaking one of the rules of the carnival i find it interesting that you can like commit sins in hell yeah. yeah uh where it gets really fun is that in the background uh lucifer is in his hut with a small child that you find out eventually is the son of one of the souls okay and he's telling fairy tales he's got literally aesop's fables in his lap and he's reading fairy tales to this kid and each one corresponds to the story of one of the souls. Oh, I love Aesop's fables. I loved them as a kid. Uh, so uh, the painted doll, Emily Autumn, uh, in the first movie, she specifically sings uh, Prick Goes the Scorpion's Tale, which is the story of the frog yep. and the scorpion. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the scorpion and the frog. Um, it's it's not a great movie, but if you aren't expecting it and you stumble into it, it can be a real treat. Uh, okay. The end of the movie basically has uh, Lucifer say to John, one of the uh, three souls, hey, I don't particularly want you here. You have suffered here. I'm sending you off to heaven. And he appears in God's workshop and God's like, the fuck are you doing here? Get the fuck out. And it's Paul Servino throwing a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Dayton Cowley approaches Lucifer and is like, hey, why did you let one go? 
And Lucifer's like, well, you see, I've got big plans to fuck with God. And then he sings this really great song called Grace for Sale. Okay, so it sounds like it's kind of a setup. It really sounds like a setup for number two, yeah. <laughs> uh, like for this movie, is what it essentially sounds like, which makes me feel a little bit better that I haven't seen it. Like, it doesn't feel as necessary. Oh, I it's, just it's wish, non-essential. I just wish that the recap made a little bit more sense, I guess. Yeah, I didn't follow the recap at all. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I got I got the fact that there are these people and these people died and that they are in hell. That's it. That's mm-hmm. what I got. That's honestly all there really is to it. They wander around the carnival. They make a stupid decision based on their earthly sins. And they get tortured. That's that's about beginning, middle, and end of it. It was only about 50 minutes long. It, it sounds wasn't way even feature length. Interesting, because it sounds way less interesting compared to the second movie. Oh, yeah, it absolutely was. That's that's because they had virtually no budget. They, they had nothing. Mm. And in fact, just to try and make the budget back and be able to pay the performers, they had to take it on a uh, road show and uh, show it at various theaters and then sit on the stage and talk about it to audiences all across the country just to make the money back. But see, mm. that sounds interesting. I like yeah. things like that. When oh, you, so Sure, yeah. but when that's how you have to try and earn back the money because the film was too expensive and it was only a 50-minute little tiny project with minimal actual actors and like very basic sets, mm. that's terrifying and really goes a long way towards explaining why there's not going to be a third one because they had to do that for the second one as well. Mm. And you'll notice, I played a digital copy I don't own physical copies of either of the two movies because those damn things, basic DVDs, not even Blu-rays, $35 a pop, and they only made 6666 of each. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, that's committing to the bit, though. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing they did to try and sweeten the pot was they had Dayton Cowley sign every copy of the second film. Damn. Damn. Yeah, the poor bastard was writing a lot. I'd, I'd get a fucking stamp made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck this shit. Like an auto signer, like Basically. presidents yep. have. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, well, what we do know about the third that would have happened, uh, there's been no actual script leaks, but uh, Terrence Zunick, I feel like I'm mispronouncing that horribly. Probably. Uh, yeah, probably. That is a thing we're good at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guy that played Lucifer. Uh, mm-hmm. He was also the writer and songwriter for the film. Um, and. He's revealed that the gist of it was going to actually be the final war between heaven and hell. So kind of like the end of all days and things like that? Functionally, yeah. Functionally, okay. Yeah. Apocalypse, Um, all that fun stuff. I mean, I don't think it was going to go into the actual apocalypse. I'm pretty sure it was going to stay focused on heaven and hell. Okay. And just fuck Earth. No one cares about Earth. Earth's boring. (laughs) We live on Earth. Is Earth fun? No, it's fucking boring. That's why people listen to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So yeah, as far as I know, it was literally just going to be focused on the two sides going to war and all of the setup from the first two films actually paying off. Hmm. Okay. That makes me sad that there's not a third one, though. Yeah. I I think about it usually about once a month, and then (laughs) I get very sad about it and sit there and mope for about an hour. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like Firefly. You got the one season and... Even though they were building up for a better story, never got to do anything with it. I mean, yeah. other than the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, any other overarching thoughts that we missed? I mean, the only thing that I thought would be worth mentioning is actually, I think, going to be one of my favorite things. Um, Should we just dive into that then? 
Sure. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Since I actually have something off the top of my head, how about that? <laughs> I don't have yep. to struggle for this one. Um, so I actually, there are a lot of things that I actually really enjoy about this, aside from the obvious theatricality of it, because I love theater. Um, but I think for this particular movie, I really enjoy the costumes and the makeup. Mm, I yep. think it would be, even though my skin would freak the fuck out, <laughs> I would be super excited to like get any type of makeup for that movie. I think it would be a ton of fun. Uh, it would be a bitch, but still a ton of fun when you can see like the final effects and the costuming I thought was really great. Oh, yeah. So yeah, and it was really interesting to see the different types of interpretations for costuming, like when you compare heaven and hell. Mm. So yep. I thought that was an interesting take. Um, as far, So I wonder if it was solely just uh, left to whoever was in charge of costumes, like their interpretation or how much guidance did they have from Lucifer slash Terrence? <laughs> I do know that for at least heaven, they had quite a bit of um, sort of instruction as to which direction to go because even when they were just writing songs and talking about it at small concerts that he would do for fans, um, one of the things that he would talk about is he was very much modeling it after 1930s Hollywood when specifically, like, a lot of Nazi propaganda was starting to fester in Right, and you Hollywood. can, right, and that's very evident in the costuming, but oh, it's yeah. also evident in some of the songs that he had, so I'm not sure, like, how many of the songs, um, as far as how the movie was made, like, if he had everything written ahead of time, or if he kind of had to do some stuff as you go along, because edits are always there. Honestly, I'm not sure. That um, one I don't know. I right, do know, but you so remember the, sorry, uh, you remember the song by the translators? Yes. Uh that was one of the first songs that actually got finished. Gotcha. Mm. But my point is, when as he's writing the songs, if you already have them pretty much fully developed, you can hear the stylistic choices that they're making that can oftentimes help with costumers' interpretation and things like that if they don't have a whole lot to go off of. Yeah. So, but yeah, costuming and makeup and just seeing the different types of interpretations. Um, that For that, I mean, it, like painted dolls makeup, I thought by the end mm. of it was super cool even though it's very campy I mean, yes. yeah <laughs> but i think that's part of the fun of it oh. i like it's 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 campy but campy on purpose <laughs> and that i and that i can respect so um like when she finally when she has like the different colored eyes and things like that like it's very obvious she's wearing contacts yeah but at the same time it's still something that i'm like the effect of it and for what it's doing for her character i think is still really cool it's yeah. like hypnotic almost yeah yeah which well, i think is the point well, I mean, it's kind of like um, Lucifer, you know. It, it's very clearly just a man in makeup, yes. But it, it fits. It fits the yeah. uh, aesthetic. Aesthetic. That's the word I wanted. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, a lot of times for actors and things, you know, so, certain actors very much like that kind of helps define their character as mm -hmm. far as how they're going to play the character, how the character is going to move, walk, talk, all that fun stuff. They do it based on like what the costumes and the makeup are going to look like for them. Sometimes yeah. there are some final decisions they make once they do that. Depends on the actor. But I would imagine as an actor, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And actually, that reminds me, one thing that I do really love about the first one is you, you don't get to see it in a lot of detail, but at one point, uh, Dayton Callie's character walks in on Lucifer as Lucifer is putting on his makeup, the, the like clown makeup yeah. effect. So it's makeup on top of makeup. Right, exactly. And that, just, that really entertains me right. to think about. And again, it bitched to your skin. Oh, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking back to um, when we watched, um, oh, fuck, what was it called? Insidious? Yep. Um, one of the things I didn't like about that movie is that the, the demons or whatever in that movie yeah. just felt like people wearing makeup. 
and even though the makeup in that wasn't dissimilar to to this movie, I feel like back on the word aesthetic, it mm-hmm. fit the aesthetic of this movie so much more. Right. Whereas, you know, just people wearing makeup doesn't really feel scary. Right, <laughs> you know, exactly. Know, a movie like Insidious. Uh, again, it's like everything had a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can get into how like overplayed things are and how theatrical and drama- overly dramatic things are, but they're doing it on purpose and it just like, it adds to it. It does, it's not trying to, you know, it doesn't detract. Yeah, it's not detracting, and it also is not, you know, forgive the pun, but, like, trying to cover up anything. It's trying to enhance whatever they're already doing. Mm-hmm. And I think for this one it worked, whereas Insidious, not as much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, to build on Ellie's thing, uh, I was because I was going to mention the costuming and everything, um, but, yeah, uh, included in that, I was also going to talk about just the sets in general. Everything yeah. they did, uh, the decor, mm-hmm. uh, the build, all of it was a lot of fun and really gave a very particular um, feel to all of it. Mm. And uh, you could see how they were doing a lot with so little. Yeah. You know? Yes. Do, uh, we, do we... Sorry to interrupt you. Do we know what the budget was for that movie? I should be able to find out. To the Google that? machine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in like, you know, uh, like uh, when... Um, when uh, the painted doll, June, yeah. um, went into the creepy guy's, um, like, uh, uh, boxcar. Yes. You know, once they're inside, everything else is shrouded in darkness. Yep. So, I mean... They didn't actually have to go on a boxcar or design a boxcar or anything. Right. It just they just made it dark and it didn't matter because I mean it was all spooky and magical anyway. Right. Exactly. Five hundred thousand. That's it. Yeah, that's not a lot that's for. A they movie. didn't even get a million. <laughs> and actually, Man. let me double check how much the budget was on the first one because the sets, same amount actually, but the sets were actually even weaker on the first one. Ah. I think that a lot more money ended up having to get spent on um, talent, or maybe just equipment. I, I think part of it was uh, hiring people, but I think I was going to say the other part of it, I think, was um, effects, because although there was a lot of effects in this, mm-hmm. uh, they were a lot more interspersed in the first one. Mm. So, Wow, man. I would have guessed a million, and they didn't even have that. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Mad respect. Cool. Oh, no. It's my turn, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So this may fall off base i don't know but on this viewing in particular it really struck me how much this ends up being a feminist story Hmm. and i really just i really appreciated that i thought it was very interesting that a story that is ostensibly god versus the devil is a lot less interested in the devil or god and much more interested in this one woman taking back her identity and reclaiming who she is yeah. to the point where she doesn't like the like lucifer actually says when you already know yourself you don't need to talk that much right mm-hmm. so it's like yeah i think there were a lot of overarching themes in that that was one of them that i got the other one was kind of like who's gonna sell out to heaven mm-hmm. like her partner cora cora yeah yeah cora where you know um effectively I got this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I got the fact that like she and June were kind of lovers yeah. and Cora to save her own skin, yeah. you know, sold her out in a sense. I got the, so impre- that she could move up. I'm sorry. No, you're right. Um, I got the impression that they weren't necessarily lovers, but Cora liked June, Okay, but June 
didn't th- really feel the same way because at one point, you know, she was like kind of going in for like a kiss and then right. she pulled away. Yeah. And I it th- just kind of felt like she was toying with Cora. Yeah. And I yeah. think and she that's true because Court did call her out on that. Like, don't toy with me. Don't do that yeah. type of thing. So that's true. I get that. So um, and then the watchdog, whatever, the watchman. The watchdog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So called her out about like, you know, your feelings are illegal and, yeah. and things of that nature. But, yeah, I got a lot of different themes on it about, like, you know, how loyal are you as far as, like, blind loyalty when it comes to God's number one agent, things like that. So I think there were a lot of fun themes at play um, while also kind of twisting things around in the sense of, like, you know, for, I guess, I don't know if it's twisting things so much these days because a lot of people do it now. But, like, you know, heaven's not so great. God's a dick. Hell actually looks like it may not be such a gr- awful place. Yeah. Because <laughs> at least you can be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I don't necessarily know how original it was at the time, but the first one came out in 2012, and this one's from 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, another... It- Oh, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Another uh, disappointing reason there won't be a third one is I feel like Cora's story would have been told a lot more in the third one because it kind of felt like she was getting, you know, set up for something. You know, she seemed eager and wanting to get into heaven, you know, regardless of what her feelings were. Right. Um, But we never really got the opportunity to explore that. Right. I think that was something that I was interested in, too, is... Um, either her story was going to be told a little bit more or she was going to have to come to terms with the, you know, what she did to June, mm-hmm. all that, or they might've met again yeah. and had to deal with that. All that fun stuff could have played what, out. What did she really do to June? Cause it really didn't feel like she did anything. I thought that she sold her out in a sense. Yeah. yeah she, but she talked to the watchword. Yeah. She talked to the, what was it called? Watchword? Uh, the watchdog, the watch, the uh, watchword. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, but yeah, but like the the uh, June got caught anyway because when she opened the book, it set off all the alarms and stuff. So it just it doesn't really feel like whatever Cora did actually had any effect. I don't know, but what I thought could have happened because Cora knew that she was in trouble is she could have been like, hey, if you're interested in like you know fucking around with June, she's really interested in these banned books. Mm. So that could have been a thing. Could have been, yeah. I again, I don't know. I'm reading between lines that may not be there. So yeah, and Noel mentioned when we were watching it, you were, you uh, commented on the golden apple being that of Eris, but I connected it with more like the forbidden fruit, the forbidden knowledge. Oh no, no, it uh, absolutely like from the is, Garden of Eden. It absolutely is that, but I see it as both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I I noticed that it could have been a red apple or a green apple or really any fucking color of apple. It could have mm-hmm. just been an outline of an apple. Yeah, but it was specifically a solid gold stamp of an apple mm-hmm. and there's only really one solid gold apple in any religious text anywhere because even the forbidden fruit isn't specifically named as an apple mm-hmm. uh, in fact most theologians actually think now that it was a pomegranate yeah because i don't think apples um are native to that area so they wouldn't have been writing right. about apples yeah. yeah um so the only conclusion that i can personally draw is golden apple chaos old school heiress lore and that bring makes me think of like lucifer in general as far as like his character in this one um you know a lot of times when you're dealing with lucifer it's like agent of evil and all these things and in this one i was like seems to me like lucifer is just bored (laughs) he's a a trickster right he's a trickster he's bored he's tired of he yeah so he's like we're gonna fuck some things up and fuck with people's day Mm -hmm. whereas you know you got god who's used to routine likes things done a certain way and when you got somebody that's that very atypical 
as far as that they can be a lot of fun to fuck with if you're basically an agent of chaos, which is how I interpreted Lucifer's character here. I mean, it it helps that he specifically paints his face to look like a clown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He sets himself up as a storyteller, a trickster, silver-tongued devil. Right, and it's a lot of fun to see Lucifer actually seeming like he cares about the people that are in his carnival. Mm -hmm. Like, at least the long-standing people, like his advisor um, and things of that nature, like their final conversation at the end where the advisor's clearly very frustrated about being kept in the dark about things. And Lucifer is like, all right, fine. I know I've been distracted and I'm sorry. Let me tell you what's up. And I'm and I'm like most people, as far as their interpretation of Lucifer, like you'd just be dead or tortured or whatever, because Lucifer don't give a fuck like that. Yeah, that was a really great scene. And yeah. uh, it really kind of showed you a lot about their characters uh, because, you know, the uh, the advisor was just like, oh, you know, the only thing standing between the train and you is going to be me. And the devil's like. I'm not fuck martyrs, man. Go yeah. away. And the dude's like, Hey, come on. Don't, don't dismiss me. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, Lucifer had his whole speech about, you know, like, you know, I'll be beside you. And then he's like, all right, all right. I'm sorry. Come on. Let's, right. I let's, think, it, you know, let's look at my plan. I think it's enjoyable that he kind of gave Lucifer a little bit more depth than just being an instrument of evil mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Like you can add a little bit more under the surface to bring that type of, to actually make Lucifer Lucifer likable. Yeah. Um, one more special, like, honorable mention before yeah. we get into uh, things we didn't like. Um, we talked about it while we were watching it, but I was really impressed by Tech Nine's performance. I don't know if he has other yeah. musical theater experience, but if he doesn't, he's a natural. I really enjoyed him. He really just felt like, like an experienced you know, yeah. like musical performer. I mean, I, yeah. he, like he's obviously a musician, but like, you know, musical specifically yeah. performer. I think that's why for, at least for theater, when you have people that are considered like the quote unquote triple threat where, you know, they can sing, dance and act mm-hmm. like all of those things for me are very easily crossoverable. Like you can, those feed into the other. Mm-hmm. So even if he's not had any other type of training, if he, as far as he's a rapper, yes, like by trade. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like day job. I mean, that's, that's why he goes by Tech Nine okay. instead of his name, Aaron just, Yates. Hey, hey ah. just checking. No judgment on the names. It's fine. Uh, it's a cool <laughs> ass name. I've never known a Tech Nine. So there you go. Oh. <gasps> what? Aw. His birthday is four days after mine. Oh, gosh. He was born November 8th, 1971. Oh, man. Aww. But I think because, like, even if he's not had any training, he's still a rapper. Therefore, he, yeah. is, he is effectively performing for crowds all of the time. Yeah, so he's so trained in having a stage can, presence. And exactly. All that. Yeah. So he can feed into it on some level. Um, and likewise, as far as dancers and singers, you are by trade performing on some type of level. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, um, I think those can feed into each other. And I'm not usually as surprised when they're like, oh, hey, this singer can really act and i'm like they're performing for you all the time yeah so i mean there's definitely some who who've tried to make that crossover into acting yes some are more successful yeah some are more successful than others this is very very true <laughs> i'll never forget uh when i was a kid i used to read mad magazine and uh, uh one of the things they do like uh every episode or every episode every issue uh they'd show uh stills from a movie and then add funny captions yes and i remember they had one for um uh, uh, eight mile, and oh uh, they made a joke about um that there's a picture of Eminem holding a paper bag, and like they're they're making fun of him, but also like commenting on the fact that the dude actually successfully act. He's like, yeah, well, I managed, I actually managed to act my way out of this paper bag. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, seeing Eight Mile, he 
did really well. You know, yeah. you'd think the guy was an actor. But I've then, actually not you know? seen it all the way through. Oh, it's a good movie. I've My seen, father like, the, loves I, that movie. I've seen yeah. like the iconic scene where he does his battle mm-hmm. and such. So. Do you want to add it to the list? We we certainly why why not? <laughs> it's already a long enough list. There's um yeah. um it's funny enough. My mom was actually watching the behind the scenes stuff for Eight Mile, and so that's when I happened to catch uh, the behind the scenes thing. But like when he, they were filming like the like the montage of him doing yeah. the rap battles, he was actually battling against local raptors. Uh, raptors. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh my god! What a what a slip! That was great. That was that was awesome. rappers. So now but, the cover um, for the this tyrannosaur one. barges in. Yeah. So now for the cover of this one, we just need to have a raptor in the background and just not explain anything. Just let people listen. Um, They'll figure it out. But no. So so uh, like Eminem, uh, you know, it was going to be normal. But Eminem, like from all the takes and stuff they'd had to do on previous days, he, he was uh, having some. Uh, he was having some. Um, vocal issues vocal issues yeah like he was like he, his, his throat was sore uh-huh. and so they didn't want him to injure himself so basically he was just miming rapping yeah and uh and so but then like you know because they'd had a bunch of actual local rap rappers <laughs> uh you know who wanted the opportunity they were like they would actually rap and then he would mime back basically that's pretty uh, cool and so there was one he was up against and uh he he was so frustrated that he couldn't respond that he's like hold on let me turn my mic on oh, shit. <laughs> it was great i highly recommend watching the behind the scenes stuff i for love that movie. i love behind the scenes yeah shit. it sounds this is gonna be so terrible but like you know the twilight movies and stuff like that uh-huh. yeah no i own almost all of them i have never watched the actual movie when i bought the, <laughs> like i've seen the movies you know i yeah. saw them when they came in theaters because uh-huh. everybody did yeah but as far as okay. as far as like when I bought them, I've never actually watched the movies, but they had like a three disc special of uh-huh. just the behind the scenes shit. And yeah. that's the only thing I cared about. I wanted to watch yeah. all the behind the scenes that's of how funny. they made stuff. I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Like here's a weird behind the scenes detail for the movie Moulin Rouge actually. Oh boy. Um, so Kylie Minogue actually features fairly prominently in yeah, one the scene. Green fairy. Mm-hmm. As the green fairy. Yeah. However, at one point the green fairy screams and that is not Kylie Minogue screaming. Mm-hmm. That's Ozzy Osbourne screaming. Oh. Oh, really? They actually uh, recorded footage for that scene where the Green Fairy is suddenly played by Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> he was in the dress and makeup oh my God. for one shot, and then they tried to blend it in, and they couldn't get the effects to cooperate, uh, so, so they, they had just, to cut it. But and they just kept the scream. The scream. Yeah. Oh my God. I um I, during you were you were talking about somebody in the movie having uh, really impressive vocal range. I don't remember who. Paul Sorvino. Okay. Yeah. And then Which I mentioned. One was he? God. God, yeah. okay. I was about to say, I can't remember if that was God or the agent's name. Uh, that'd really. be Adam Pascal. Yeah. Okay, no. Um, also featured in the SLC Punk movie that we watched. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, and I told you, like, a surprising person who's famous for having an impressive range is Corey Taylor from the band Slipknot. Uh, he was actually, quote-unquote, in an episode of Doctor Who. But he wasn't in it. Uh, he played a scream. <laughs> I remember for, hearing for, about that. Uh, yeah, a creature, uh, for a monster that was in an episode. It wasn't actually a very good episode. No, um, I, I remember yeah. seeing a behind the scenes about that though. Like, yeah, when I, I remember they had the episode, and then they had immediately after a short behind the scenes featurette, mm-hmm. and it showed him in there. I was like, oh shit, he was in this. <laughs> Fucking yeah. weird. And it's funny. Um, he he appeared in a, a episode of a podcast I really like. Um, uh. Uh, no such thing as a fish um a trivia podcast uh oh. it, it based in england um and so and he was talking about that it was just really funny this you know like metalhead dude being on this you know geeky trivia yep. <laughs> podcast but yeah i guess and he like grew up watching star trek and stuff so it's like oh, okay Neat. that's really that's pretty cool. cool yeah yeah 
There's a lot of crossover mm. between metal and nerddom. A little like Tech Nine, what you discovered. Yeah. Would you like to share? Oh yeah, when looking up Tech Nine to see if he had a background in musical theater, I found out when he was young he liked to uh, go ghost hunting with his friends, which I just, I just, I love it. <laughs> I want to go ghost hunting with Tech Nine. Yeah. That sounds like a great weekend. <laughs> so now to break my heart, what was your least favorite thing? Um, least favorite thing. So I love the type of campiness and the theatrics that they bring to this movie like they're doing it on purpose so because it's very obvious that they're doing it on purpose and they're playing it up like i would love to see this as a state on a stage Mm -hmm. i think it'd be so much fun so i can overlook that most of the time but there were some parts where i'm like yeah these people aren't actors (laughs) (laughs) where so like the for me in particular that kind of stood out was the scene with the marionettes when they first got turned on in a sense, like they wound, they wound them up and they first started talking about like, this is the plan. And I was just like, oh man, <laughs> where I'm like, this is, and it's not because I don't like their characters. I like the idea of their characters. I think there were some choices that were made that I don't necessarily agree with for my taste, but I'm also a little bit picky about what kind of acting I usually think is amazing versus just too campy for me so there were times where the campiness was just overdone to the point where i'm like i'm starting to i'm starting to waver a little bit here but then fortunately enough there'd be a song or something or i'd see a cool effect or a costume where i get pulled back in so it didn't happen very often but it still happened every now and then i can relate yeah so um so it would happen every now and then but yeah aside from the obvious glaring like there's not going to be a third one because i really want their them to finish this damn story because i don't like when things are left unresolved (laughs) (sighs) um that would be my least favorite thing gotcha do you want to go next or should i yeah yeah i can go next um so so like i managed to put it all together by the end of the movie but Mm. um I, at times, had trouble kind of following what was going on. Yeah. Uh, And at times, it wasn't clear that they were kind of jumping back and forth, um, like, timeline-wise. That was very much by design. Yeah. Uh, Okay, yeah. I just, I didn't really care for it. And because I was having trouble following at times, it made it difficult for me to, like, concentrate. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, like, it was, and and maybe it was also because of the visuals. Though I enjoyed the visuals, uh, I just wasn't always exactly following what was going on. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I kind of was able to, like, pick it up eventually as it went along. But um, as somebody with ADD... Yeah. When I was starting to lose the plot, I only would drift farther. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I can agree with that because while I found the story pretty easy to kind of pick up on mm-hmm. and things like I can follow the story, no problem. But because there is clearly a lot of attention to detail as far as like what heaven's rules are, what hell is like mm-hmm. and specific like specifically for heaven, because we spend a lot of time in heaven in, in this particular movie, um, as far as like the rules and the culture of heaven. I kept trying to figure out why there were these rules and things like that. So as far, and so like which character, like as far as what kind of role they played and such. So when you got people like, hey, that's David Hasselhoff. (laughs) But what, what the fuck do you do, sir? (laughs) Uh, So a lot of the rules come back around to the hitting on all sevens concept. Right. I got Um, that by the time the song came around. So like the song was helpful, but the first, I think the first time we watched it, I don't think we had the subtitles. 
Yeah, that sounds right. So I don't think we had the subtitles, so I couldn't follow everything about the song because there's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. So I got distracted, and I still, by the end of it, would be a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. And I could easily see that there's a hierarchy, but as far as, like, for some of the other characters that are there that are just kind of in the background, everything is so played up as far as costuming, makeup, and things like that. I still want to understand, like what this world is like. And mm. so I don't think I fully got there at times. So I see what you're saying. I could keep up with like general story, mm. but I wanted to know more about the bits and details and yeah. things like that. I can definitely get that. Uh, it's okay to say no. And I'll sn- snip it in that case. Uh, does anyone want me to go do a quick rundown of the hierarchy? Yeah, go for it. I'm, I don't mind. Sure. Okay. So obviously up at the top is God. Yeah. Number one is the agent. Right. Who is God's right-hand man, always there, faithful servant, literal lapdog. Yeah. Uh, Two is the librarian. Mm -hmm. His job is specifically to uh, pass down what verses should be sort of said. Uh, Pass down the information, the stories. uh, Hold back certain stories. Sort of go off of what God's saying to figure out the bigger picture. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next down is, if I remember right, the designer uh, should be number three, if I remember right. Uh, the designer was David Hasselhoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, his job is literally the entire aesthetic of heaven. Okay. Whatever God is thinking and wanting and doing, it's his job to make it look like that. Okay. So mm-hmm. then when he's like, fix this person, when God is like, fix this, that's David's thing yeah and that's also why he specifically was working with uh the beast of prey which is number six um the two cop looking people with the fucky helmets oh i thought they were like four or five uh no they, they were six. Oh, okay uh beast of prey very low very low on the totem pole their job is literally just beat the shit out of anyone that's not in line and yeah. that's going to be either uh the workhorses or the initiates now is there only one person at each number uh no Okay. Because there were two number sixes. Okay. And, and then, a shitload of number sevens. Right. Okay. And then the singers ha- are four. I think I saw yes. four on okay. their arm. Uh, the songbirds. Yes. Gotcha. Um, I, I didn't really notice the numbers until that until um at one point when I when I realized that there was a one on the agent's arm and then I noticed that uh, the librarian had two. And by then, okay. you, I, you didn't really see the numbers a whole lot. Oh, and then... um. Uh, towards the end of the movie, uh, everybody down in hell was like pulling off their armbands. Right. I assume they had numbers as well, though I don't know yes. what numbers they had. Right. Uh, most of them had actually gotten X's. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's to so specifically signify outcasts. Do gotcha. we know what the wings were? Uh, the wings were initiates. Yeah. Uh, those are initiates. Applicants, applicants yes. Yeah. Applicants. Uh, those trying to get into heaven. Okay, gotcha. Uh, oh, and then the only one I haven't mentioned is five, which is the watchdog. Yeah. Mm. Um. And his job is literally just to skulk about heaven, gather information, and report it back to God. So, so he's like God... heaven's snitch. Yeah. yeah. Very big brother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, literally, I, I think that's why he went to Korra, was gather information from her that God can then use against her. That mm-hmm. also makes me sad that they're not going to do a third one, because we got a hint of what june read in the in the book that was technically forbidden because it had the apple on it so i can assume something about the story with adam and eve and like the forbidden fruit or Mm -hmm. something but i wanted to know specifically like why is that considered banned Mm -hmm. everybody knows that story everyone thinks they know that story exactly Uh, which is why i wanted to know why is that technically forbidden and that probably could have come up in the third movie i could definitely see that being the case what i think was much more interesting was she didn't even get a chance to read it she just cracked the book open looked down at the pages 
and everything went to shit immediately. Right, mm-hmm. for sure. But then, but again, I'm just like, well, why is that banned? Because everybody thinks they got that. Like, everybody knows what happened. At least that's what we're led to believe. So why is that technically banned? And, and it just bothers my, me. And here's where my personal fan theory comes in. Why I think that that golden apple is specifically referenced to Eris. Hmm. Because I think that that story isn't Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. I think it's Adam and Eris or some other play at there are other gods out there. There's a much bigger picture here that God has chosen to stamp out because he wants to be the big head honcho. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be a great angle mm-hmm. to play. Right? That's that's just my fan theory. Piss. I've been mulling on that for six years and I'm never going to get an answer. Piss off a it. lot of religious people, but I'm so, oh, I'm yeah. all for it. If they, I mean, if you're not already, if you're consider yourself super religious and not pissed off by carnival, I think you can be okay <laughs> finding out what happens at the end. Yeah. But I mean, but, yeah. regardless, if you think about it, in real life, when it comes to just mythology versus religion, that's kind of what happened anyway. Mm-hmm. You had Greek and then Roman mythology, yeah. Yeah. and then Christianity and Catholicism and just stamped. kind of fucking stomped it yep. away. Yep, mm-hmm. stamped that shit right out. So yeah, so I just thought it was interesting not to interrupt and go off on a tangent. Yeah. Oh, you're good. good. You're good. Uh, well, let's do the third question. Oh, I haven't mentioned. My I was going to say, thing. did you say your least oh, favorite thing? I Sorry. Uh, so, I mean, obviously I could say just the fact that we're not going to get a third one, but <laughs> yeah, we kind of hammered cheating. that home. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's going to sound very strange, but I think my least favorite thing was just some of the character choices. Okay. Uh, it, it wasn't everything, but just little things like the magician in the first film is still a fucking loser weirdo. Yeah. But it's portrayed that he could potentially be good at something. I see. We just aren't really shown what. He's he's got skills, but we don't really see what those are. Mm, yeah. And again, could have been seen if we got a third one. Yeah. And they, they, so you know, if anyone that has any power in this world wants to make a third one happen, <laughs> You got at least three people that would be very interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, they were running polls immediately after the second one came out asking, okay, so you've seen the first two. Who would you want to see sort of shown off a little bit more in the third one? And they also the magician? Uh, n- n- no, there were a lot of votes for the magician, but there were also votes for the blacksmith. There yeah. were also votes for uh, the dwarf. Yep. Mm. Uh, there were more votes for... Um... God, I'm trying to remember. Scorpion? Uh, Scorpion actually featured pretty heavily into the first one. Mm. Yeah. I think that's just natural, though. Like, I think that's a natural inclination for people when they watch movies and you have interesting, notable side characters. Mm -hmm. I think it's natural for people to be like, yo, if you're going to do another thing, you got to highlight these people because I want to know more about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, makes sense. No, it's just like there were certain character choices with the way that they were either written or portrayed where it felt either like a deviation from the first film or like it could have been something interesting or special and then it was just allowed to flounder in the background. I see. A little like you liked the Bayonets, but you didn't like how they were played. Right. So. Yeah. And I guess that does bring us to the third question now. Oh boy. Dice roll, please. Okay, and we got... Question number 18. Oh, boy. Oh. If it was going to land on a six, I was going to laugh, like, really loud. (laughs) Or a seven would have been good also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which cast or crew member do you think was doing the most drugs? (laughs) Oh, jeez. Of course we get that for this movie. Uh, Jimmy Urine, who played uh, uh, one of the cop-type people. One of the beasts of prey? Sure. Yeah. Um, 
I could definitely see that. I also kind of feel like Paul Servino was probably like really enjoying some nose candy. <laughs> I feel like that was actually a thing for David Hasselhoff in his like personal life. So uh, I, don't... I know he liked drinking and Back eating cheeseburgers off the floor. And... Gotcha. Really? That one I didn't know. You've never seen that video of him like drunkenly eating a cheeseburger on the floor? Mm. No, like I yelling haven't. at his child or something. Yeah, I no, was I just haven't. I was just gonna go with the Hoff just because of like his own personal history, mm. but not to try and be rude, and that might come across as rude. <laughs> I just, I just like. <laughs> I like the mental picture of Paul Servino bringing home a bag of what says flour, but then he dumps it on its, on his desk at home, and it's just cocaine. And he oh just slams his face into the pile of cocaine, lifts it up, and says, "Oh, that's the good shit." Is oh, one of no. the side effects of cocaine making your ears weirdly long? Yeah, that's rude. <laughs> that's rude. <laughs> he had some dangly, dangly ears, some like big time grandpa ears. I'll make sure to mention that in the notes for this episode. Okay, good. <laughs> dangly, dangly grandpa ears. Yeah. Okay. You have been warned. So we have raptors and dangly ears. <laughs> dangly raptor ears? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Considering the ears are just kind of like holes in their head, I wouldn't so think a giant they'd hole? be super dangly. Just giant holes. Dangly holes. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to... Shameless plugs? Oh, yeah. I guess there is that. That's what we were missing. The papers. I was looking at the table earlier and I was like, hmm, we're missing something. We normally have papers that kind of serve as a guideline to get us through each episode so we don't get too off track. And we totally forgot about them. Ostensibly. Thank you. The email is lscpod at gmail.com. And our Twitter is at lscpod. And I'm being a little more active on there lately, I promise. Mm -hmm. That's good. Uh, I guess I'll also mention the Instagram, which is Longshot Club, not the Longshot Club, just <laughs> just Longshot Club. Or um, if you want to hit Null or I up individually on Twitter, uh, you can do so at MXM Null for Null and at Brannigan Star with two R's for me. And if you want to hit me, you gotta find me first. Yeah. Oh, and avoid just, the balls. Just yeah. leave Ellie alone. Yeah, sorry. Don't uh, be sorry. Just don't bother her, guys. <laughs> Come the fuck on. Give that girl some space. <laughs> oh, man. But you guys also have another podcast. Oh, do we know? Yes, you do. It's called Midtown Mythos. Want to talk about that? Oh, I sure. suppose. Uh, so when this episode comes out, uh, we are on a temporary hiatus between seasons. Uh, Fear not. It's something we do between every season. It's not like one of those hiatuses where it's like, oh, no, we're just going on hiatus. And they were never seen again. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we are coming back. Uh, I'm angling to get things rolling again in March. Um, I will mention that the story is about to shift a little bit. So if you want to jump in, season four is a good time to do it. You're not mm-hmm. going to need to look at a whole backlog of like 70 episodes. Or you can, because they're there. Yeah, you, you absolutely can. It's not necessary, but you'll probably enjoy it. We are stupid and it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. We do love a good plot twist. Yeah. Twist. Mm-hmm. Lots of twist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that brings us to the question of the hour. I Thank swear, you for being a floral bonnet. <laughs>